Welcome back to Coin and E. I'm Mark Buckley, and my guest is Delisa Toole. Delisa is telling us a story of how she found out her husband was involved in adultery and the ensuing chaos that took place in their church since he was, and they were, the founding pastors. Uh, Delisa, had your husband been found out, or was he just exposing himself with, about this affair? It had been exposed outside of his control. Yeah, so he knew you were going to get the message, and he yes, wanted he to just let you know before somebody else did. Yes. Um, was he honest with you about everything, or was just partially, or... Well, you know, we being ministers, we had worked with many couples who had gone through um, affairs or the dissolution of their marriage. And that was always a big deal that would befuddled us is why truth couldn't come out because it would have made such a huge difference if everyone was just willing to be truthful. Yeah. The truth does set you free. Right. I, I know that firsthand. And um, he promised me that first night that he would be completely honest, but he was not able to keep that promise. Mm-hmm. And he... He says that he was so afraid to tell me the truth. Um, I'm, in fact, I don't know all the truth today. Yeah. So you you have an attitude of uh, real grace it's towards the church. I mean, there was a high-profile Christian leader in Colorado Springs who blew up his ministry, and then he goes on CNN and uh, a year later and blasts the church, you know, for the way they handled his discipline. And that church provided him with counseling and all kinds of stuff. They were very gracious to him, and still he hated the church. Um, and your your attitude is that they didn't have any experience handling this kind of thing. You know they could have done it perfect. But in my experience as well, is it's always an imperfect process. It's a messy battle, and nobody has a book to tell you exactly how to do it. That's right. I always have believed that the local church is the hope of the world Mm -hmm. and that if the local church were doing as God dreamed us to do, there would be so many things that would look different. Mm -hmm. And it's all based in love. And I know that if people knew that that they could grasp that love, that something would change deeply. And I know that I have so many times gone into grieving families and I've thought with everything in me, I just don't know what to say. It's like I'm watching a car crash and I'm speechless. And it seems like everything I say is just so trite and it just makes no sense. And I can tell it means nothing to them. They're just grief stricken. But now I know what to say. Mm Mm-hmm. Sometimes all you can do is give somebody a hug and say, I'm so sorry, you know, um, because there aren't words that actually bring a child back from the dead or anything right. like that. Um, so um, you ended up divorced. Not everybody that experiences adultery in their family ends up divorced. Why do you think you ended up divorced? Well, what I believe is that there was so much loss And the process was handled so poorly that there was little hope for us. Um, I'm not saying that maybe one day there might not be hope in the future, Mm -hmm. but there was just so much loss. It was nothing to put back together. And there was a, I believe that you reach a point of where you want to be and where you are and where you want to be. And it becomes larger and larger and larger. And before you know it, it's the length of the Golden Gate Bridge, your Mm -hmm. chasm of where you want to be. And where you are. And that's where all the growth, expansion happens. And if one person is at one part in that journey and another person is at another part, it's hard to see eye to eye. And you do indeed grow apart. Yeah. And the loss is, is viewed differently. 
And that's where we found ourselves to be, and very quickly. Um, uh, the divorce was requested on May 15th after January 30th. So it was, I think it's probably one of the quickest divorces that people hear about. Were you requesting the divorce or your husband? I, my husband requested divorce, but it was pretty much a mutual consent that this was not really going anywhere, that the process had been terribly blundered. Uh-huh. Um, so let's, let's go back a couple of steps. Um, looking back on your life, why do you think this might have happened? I believe that when someone chooses to have an affair, that that is a very dark place at that heart, Mm -hmm. um, that it stems from that heart. And we can't even begin to know what goes on in that heart. And to pretend that we do or pretend to just trite comments can explain it away, there is no – it is such an act of betrayal. And when we – decide that we're going to betray someone. There is so much that has to go into that that creates a thought into an action. And I don't know that you can point it back to any one event, anything that happened over time or growing apart or it's just there was a, that person went to a very dark place and somehow I did not know that. Yeah. I, I had no idea. The person that I knew him to be was a humble, kind man. Um, that loved his family with all of his heart. And I just was devastated because I did not believe this was a man that could do this. And what so many people in the church said is if he can do this, anyone can. Sure. And I I think that's true. And I'll tell you why I think. I I mean, I've been a senior pastor for over 40 years. so You've seen a lot. um, Yeah, I've seen a lot. And I've experienced temptations too, you know. Um, And I think what happens a lot of times is... Um, pastors, like many people in entrepreneurial uh, jobs, they live close to the edge of burnout because they're they're working all the time. They're pressing themselves. There's never uh, enough time to get everything done. There's always more needs in the church than you can meet. And uh, as years go on, we sometimes get very detached from our own emotions. We get worn down. And I think there are gen- I'll make a generalization. There, there's a difference between oftentimes when a man betrays his wife versus when a woman betrays her husband. If a man betrays his wife, oftentimes it's not an, something against his wife so much as just an escape. He's just looking for an escape. He's not looking for somebody else's emotional needs to meet. He's not looking for somebody. He's just he's looking to have a good time, uh, and somebody's attractive, and they don't appear to have any... Uh, needs he's in deception you know and then he commits adultery and then he's he finds out this is another woman with all kinds of needs that he doesn't even have enough time to meet this the needs of his own wife legitimately and then he's in big trouble um but i i think oftentimes that's how men view it is just an escape they don't view it as i'm betraying my wife or i'm going to hurt her they don't attempt to hurt but they end up hurting big time real big so that's my take on the uh, generic version of why a lot of men do that. Well, you would know more than I would. <laughs> well, and pastors get set up, too, because uh, they're idolized sometimes yeah. by women who maybe if their own husbands aren't, don't know as many scriptures or their own husbands aren't a vocal and up standing up in front of everybody preaching and that sort of thing. And so the women think this guy is a wonderful man of God, when in reality, he's a man of God, but he's also a man. And, and his right. socks get smelly, and his 
his dishes have to be washed and you know he's just as human as anybody and people have a hard time distinguishing between the two I believe at the moment of confession, that's a critical moment in a marriage, and the clock starts ticking right there as to whether that marriage is going to make it or not. Because um, I think that you can easily, or not easily, but you can make sense of what happened before that moment of confession. confession. You, can, uh-huh. you can say, well, they, um, didn't, they were out of their mind. They lost just a lot of what you yeah, just said. Yeah. You know, they were just lost. But when it... it doesn't come clean at that moment then and things continue it is problem. just uh, gets so messy for so, the forgiveness to happen so let, let's let's have you counsel somebody who's about to make a confession what do they need to do i actually i think for both parties every both parties need the exact same thing mm-hmm. they need to have witnessed the of their grief Mm-hmm. Um, someone needs to be there. Someone needs to testify to the pain they're going through because both of them are going through a lot of pain. Yeah. And if you view that as all you're trying to do as a person caring for a grieving person is you want to get them one inch on their emotional scale above, make them feel just a little bit better. Mm-hmm. They're both at a level one, and you want them to be one day at a level 10, joy. They're, but right now they're in depression and despair, yeah. completely lost. You've got to move them up. There's no quantum leaps. You don't go from destroyed to joy mm-hmm. in a couple of months. It's a slow process. Yeah, yeah. And um, there's a lot of anger involved too, right? I mean, how did you deal with your anger? You know what? I began to realize in looking at the emotions the anger is a good thing because it's moving me out of depression. Mm-hmm. So I'm going up the scale. And when um, someone says you shouldn't be angry or make me feel like that anger is wrong, then I want to revert back into depression. That's the only place I know to go yeah. to do. Yeah. I'm not wanting to be angry. I'm wanting to feel better. Right. I feel right. relief when I get into anger. Well, yeah, because it's honest. I mean, yes. and if a guy was to say to his wife, well, I asked you to forgive me and you're still being all angry about it. Um, so what's your, it's your problem now, right? That sort of a, yeah. feels like a double betrayal. That's a naive notion that um, asking forgiveness makes everything better immediately, completely. It just doesn't, does it? It doesn't. And I think the key piece is having healthy people that know how to help people grieve surround that couple at that moment and really guide them through a three-step process that they can come out the other end a new person because there is no going back. That door is closed. What, What are some of the things that actually helped you grieve? I had to find it on my own because for some reason, um, my support system and the group from the church just dissipated out of my life. I'm not sure on why that is, and it doesn't matter today, but I was very alone. And I remember walking through a park day after day, begging God for a miracle. Mm-hmm. And in some sense, feeling like God was going to show up someday and yeah. with this wonderful miracle. And what I began to realize is God was there all along, yeah. and the miracle was happening in me. And that was the most precious miracle of all. Although I'd lost everything outside, he had still given me and and kept in place the power in me to continue to create. So did you find another church that you liked? I have not. I do a lot of um, online going to church. I read probably a book a week. Mm -hmm. And I'm a very spiritual person, very close to God. But I've not been able to cross that threshold into a church yet. 
It's difficult because when you're around people that are celebrating and rejoicing and you still have a heavy heart, it can be a real challenging thing. But I, I think very important for your complete healing. My guest is Delisa Tool. We're going to continue this discussion in just a moment. Stay tuned to Koinonia. <laughs> 